Chapter 12 of Italian Life and Legends by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 12 Fetty the Sculptor. Florence, July 1865. Have you seen Fetty's group? is one of the first questions the lover of art asks of a stranger now visiting Florence. Fetty's group is the new marvel of this beautiful city. Indeed, Fetty himself excites in us no measured amount of wonder. He presents the rare instance of a man who springs suddenly with one gigantic bound from absolute obscurity to the topmost round of the ladder of fame. A few years ago, Pio Fetti, the Florentine sculptor, was a comparative unknown. He had conceived, studied, and worked, had executed numerous statues, but none of them compelled recognition by the unmistakable impress of genius. Fetti commenced life as an engraver. A disease of the eyes rendered it necessary for him to abandon this profession. He had reached his twenty-fourth year before he first took clay in his uncertain hands and received his delightful conviction that the powers of the sculptor lay dormant within his soul. Earnest, yet unexpansive in his nature, quiet, even shrinking in his manners, he worked almost in seclusion, unaided, unregarded. The conception of his group representing the enlèvement of Palaxina by Pyrrhus, appears to have been an inspiration as sudden as it was genuine. Fetti shut himself in his studio and toiled incessantly to create in clay the superb ideal that existed within his mind. Models and the best that could be found were indispensable. He was poor, and to hoard up his narrow means that he might obtain these models, he was often forced to deprive himself of the necessaries of life. Sometimes his only food was bread and cheese and salads, but no privation which the prosecution of his work demanded was too severe. At the end of fourteen months, the clay was completed. Pyrrhus has slain Polites, one of the sons of Hecuba, and bears away her youngest sister, Polyxena, to immolate her upon the tomb of Achilles. The majestic masterpiece won almost instantaneous recognition from the ablest judges. Crowds flocked to the studio, whose doors until then had so seldom unclosed to admit the stranger. Some raved about the grandeur of the conception, some were enchanted with the finished beauty of the execution. Some were amazed at the wonderful anatomy. But all united in declaring that the entire group was a sublime triumph of art. So grand a work must at once be perpetuated in marble. That was the public verdict. A committee was formed to raise a subscription for the purchase of the marble and the payment of the workmen. Prince Ferdinand Strozzi was the president of this committee. 
and Peruzzi, its secretary. Thirteen thousand dollars was the sum required. Only eleven thousand were raised, and Fetty himself subscribed the two remaining thousand. The cost of the pedestal was furnished by the municipality. Thus the gifted artist, far from profiting by his work, was compelled to advance a large sum from his own slender means to ensure its execution in marble. Our readers are doubtless aware that the sculptor molds his design in clay, and there his labor ordinarily ends. After the clay has been cast in plaster, skillful workmen chisel the marble by measurement, and it is seldom touched by the sculptor. But Fede worked constantly upon the marble himself, leading his workmen and finishing all the delicate details. He was in love with his glorious creation and experienced the most enthusiastic delight in beholding and feeling it grow beneath his own hands. At the expiration of eight years, the stupendous group stood in marble. It has been beautifully said that clay is the birth, plaster the death, and the marble the resurrection of sculpture. No one can watch the three phases through which a statue passes without being forcibly struck by the truth of the comparison. The design in clay gives us a strong sense of its intrinsic beauty and expression. We see it in plaster and it looks dull, prosaic, lifeless. But in marble it reawakens into a higher, more imposing, more spiritual beauty. The committee which Prince Strozzi headed stipulated that Fede should not repeat his group in order that Florence might be assured the sole honor of its possession. The Duke of Manchester offered to purchase it from the sculptor for five thousand pounds sterling, but his offer was declined. An ex-mayor of New York recently visited Fede's studio and was so much struck by the magnificence of the colossal group that he offered $25,000 to have it repeated to adorn the New York Central Park. Only a few days later, a most enterprising gentleman from Boston, on beholding the group, offered to pay Fetty $50,000 if he would repeat it for the same Central Park. Our Boston friend proposed to build a pavilion over the group in the park and charge a small price for admission, which would soon repay the original cost. Fetty's calm, pleasant face glowed with gratification when the last munificent offer was communicated to him, and he said with animation, I will make an appeal to the committee and see if it will grant me permission. It may, I cannot tell. We urged him to make the appeal without delay, and, if it be not rejected, America will be enriched by a work of art which Florentine judges have pronounced the most superb of modern times. The subject of the group is taken both from the Aeneid of Virgil and the Hecuba of Euripides. The sculptor has concentrated into one separate actions of the poem and the drama. This is a story. Achilles, having slain Troyus, one of the beloved sons of Priam and Hecuba, the mother becomes frantic with grief and determines to revenge herself by means of stratagem. 
she makes known to Paris that Achilles has solicited the hand of her daughter Pagzinia, and that they are to be united in the temple of Apollo, and plans with Paris the capture and death of the invincible hero. Paris chooses the bravest of his Phrygian soldiers and consults with them in the temple. When Achilles enters to receive the hand of Polyxenia, they rush forward, surround, and slay him. As soon as Troy was taken, Pyrrhus, the son of Achilles, entered the palace of Priam to take vengeance upon the murderer of his father. He slew Polites in the presence of his parents and completed the sacrifice by killing Pyram on the dead body of his son, thus says Virgil. The tradition further declares that Pyrrhus, after slaying Priam and Polites, immolated upon the tomb of Achilles the beautiful Polyxenia, innocent cause of the great hero's death. The sculptor has supposed that the seizure of Polyxenia took place immediately after the murder of her father and brother. Thus the situation, if we may use a theatrical expression, is stronger and more thrilling than described by Virgil or Euripides. The action of the different figures composing the group conveys the idea that Polyxenia has been defended by Polites and by Hecuba, and that Pyrrhus has snatched her first from the hands of her brother and then from those of her mother. Polites lies at the feet of Pyrrhus in death agony, yet vainly endeavoring to rise. Hecuba kneels, almost prostrate, with her arms lifted despairingly towards her child, as though making a last frantic effort to save her. The delicate maidenly form of the terrified Polyxenia is encircled by the strong arms of the inexorable Pyrrhus, who is bearing her off to the sacrifice. Luigi dell'Arte, in his pamphlet upon the most desirable locality for the group, says, In the style of Fetti, one is entirely new to us, and does not resemble the somewhat material style of Giambologna, nor the conventional style of Canova, nor the rather hard style of Bartolini, but proceeds directly from the study of the works of Phidias, and is the immediate fruit of the progress we have recently made in the recognition of the early Greek statues. This group is the first evidence of a new era in, in sculpture, and as such, will form an epoch in the history of art. The exact locality which the group is destined to adorn has not yet been decided. Facing the Palazzo Vecchio are three noble arcades tastefully decorated. They were erected by Orhagna in 1375. At one period they served for the town hall or exchange, now they shelter an imposing assemblage of celebrated statues. It is the earnest desire of Fetti that his group should be admitted to one of these arcades, the Loggia de Lanzi. The choice of this conspicuous and most desirable situation has excited the jealousy and we may add the decided opposition of other Florentine sculptors.
if this felicitous locality enriched by the works of the most distinguished ancient and modern sculptors should be selected fetty's group will be seen in company with works thoroughly in harmony ajax dying recalls homer's iliad hercules and nestor bring to mind the furies of sophocles even as the rape of polyxenia recalls the aeneid of virgil and the hecuba of euripides near we have the rape of the sabines by john of bologna the world-renowned perseus of Cellini, judith slaying holofernes by donatelli etc etc the piazza gran duca or piazza della signoria upon which these arcades stand is an open-air museum of art one of the most striking statues by which it is adorned is the equestrian statue of cosimo i by john of bologna near the palace is the fountain of neptune by amanotto a colossal neptune in a car drawn by horses with nymphs satyrs and tritons sporting around on one side of the palace is hercules slaying cacus by vanacinelli on the other the celebrated colossal figure of david by michelangelo to return to the group of fetti it was stipulated in his contract with the committee that his group should be cut of one entire block of white marble and that the marble should be brought either from carrara or serravesa the block has proved wonderfully free from all imperfection a fact which cannot be ascertained until after the work of chiseling has made considerable progress the marble was brought from carrara carrara and serravesa are the two principal villages of the apennines i have already given a description of this most interesting picturesque as well as quaint little village serravesa End of chapter 12